This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. We've had a lot of law changes over the last several years, and they've been difficult to keep up with. One of the most important hits us January 1st, 2024, the Corporate Transparency Act. This is going to affect most, if not all, of our small business clients. Uh, and usually it, <laughs> it doesn't affect big businesses at all. It only affects small businesses. And uh, so we're going to discover today what we can do to help our clients get through this. And we have one of my good friends, John Scabland with us, an attorney in Phoenix, Arizona, who is going to kind of walk us through the Corporate Transparency Act. John, it's good to have you with us. Well, thank you, Tom. Always great to be with you again. And uh, uh, if you would, just give people a little of your background and, and what you're doing right now. Yeah, certainly. So I am the managing partner of Scalin PLLC. We are a boutique asset protection law firm. We've had the pleasure of working with WealthAbility for some time now. But my background actually is in accounting. So Tom, as you know, I like to joke that I'm a recovering auditor. That was my first job out of college, but I've also owned a real estate developed company and a .com. I'm an attorney now. I, in that process, I also earned an MBA. So uh, at a very large law firm, I was an equity partner there. I did not only asset protection, but also estate planning, business law, and real estate law. But uh, now that I'm coming up on 50 years, Tom, I have the privilege and pleasure of doing exactly what I love and only what I love. And that is protecting my clients' assets. That's awesome. So thank you for that. So um, Corporate Transparency Act, um, really the number one, I think, hot topic in the CPA industry right now. Um, we're trying to get our hands around it. We're trying to get a hand, our hands around what it means. Uh, first of all, can you just give us a little background where this came from, uh, when, when it was enacted, and who and how it was enacted, and, and kind of just give us an overview. Of yeah, this. certainly. Yeah. So uh, the Corporate Transparency Act. First of all, let's talk about what is its purpose, Tom. And the purpose is designed to avoid financial crimes and terrorism. I, I have to admit, I'm scratching my head a little bit on the terrorism part, but perhaps it's it's funding terrorism. But that is the end-all be-all purpose. It was a bipartisan act uh, that was passed in 2021. And so we, we do have both sides of the aisle that feel like this is a good idea. Um, but primarily, as you alluded to, this is gonna impact a lot of small businesses, a lot of your clients and clients of many tax professionals because they don't fall under one of the exceptions, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, so let's start with that. So generally speaking, um, what has to happen next year for these um, business entities? Yeah, great. Let's first talk about, uh, we're, we're going to know this, Tom, in my opinion, the before January 2024 20, uh, date and after January 1st, 2024 date. And what I mean by that is there's three impacts. All companies, unless there's an exemption, will need to file what's called a beneficial information, uh, um, I'm sorry, a beneficial ownership information report. And that must be filed within one year if the entity was formed prior to January 1st, 2024. Uh, 
breaking news for you. We just had a recent change just yesterday announced that originally the intention was any company filed after January 1st, 2024 would have only 30 days to file their beneficial information report. I'm going to nickname that what we all call it, the BOI report. Uh, I, I think CPAs love acronyms every bit as much as lawyers do. So the BOI report must be filed ordinarily within 30 days. That's the breaking news that I have for you, Tom. Yesterday, uh, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network announced that they're going to give us 90 days to file that BOI report if the company is formed in 2024. And then starting on January 1st of 2025, it will be 30 days. So. Oh, okay. So just for 2024, um, entities formed in 2024. So, so I, I've just got to ask, John. So, are are you going to form a whole bunch of entities in 2024? That um, <laughs> so you just have them on the shelf? Well, honestly, uh, we we work with CPAs, as you know, uh, Tom. And sometimes we want to form the entity in the next calendar tax year. And so, when you talk about timing, candidly. Uh, a lot of prognosticators and professionals out there feel like the sky is falling when it comes to this uh, Corporate Transparency Act. I am not one of them. I've read uh, just recently an article from uh, an attorney who said there is no longer any value in any of the privacy jurisdictions. And what I mean is uh, my go-to, as you know, Tom, is Wyoming. I love to form Wyoming LLCs for privacies. But there's Nevada, Delaware, New Mexico as well. This, uh, and he's not alone. There's unfortunately been a lot of misinformation out there. And their claim is there is no longer any value in forming in these jurisdictions because now everything is wide open and there is no longer privacy. Tom, I'm here to tell you and your listeners that is simply not true. Whoever is saying this has not done their homework. They, they don't realize the confidentiality and I'm happy to, to dive into that if yeah, you'd like. Let, let, let's talk about that. So who yeah. gets this report? So we know FinCEN, it's filed with FinCEN. Who gets to see this? Yeah, great question. So this is filed with FinCEN, which by the way, and I think this is an important distinction because I'm sure we're going to talk about, Tom, who should be filing the BOI report. Is it attorneys? Is it CPAs, et cetera? But I think a big distinction is this is a part of the Department of Treasury not the Internal Revenue Service. So key number one. But it's filed with FinCEN, the Financial uh, uh, Crimes Enforcement Network. And the only parties that are allowed to have access to this is other government agencies. So that, just full disclosure, that could be state, uh, county, city, if there's a reason to know. And that's the key. I, I would be happy to read you if you'd be interested, Tom, but they have to have a compelling interest. Yeah, re in, read that for us. What, what is yeah. the compelling interest? I would like to know that. Yeah. So I, I think this is, I, I think, you know, especially when we'll talk about others because there are states that are looking at this, but the states that are looking at doing this are going to make it wide open to everybody. Yeah, so, that's, that so is that, that's, the concern. You're so, absolutely right. So the question is, you know, what's a compelling reason, you know, can really, I mean, could, for example, any agency, state agency get this and then, oops, it gets leaked. I mean, there, right. there's, I don't think they're the person on this call who believes that anything at the IRS is private anymore. Hmm. 
I, I can't imagine when, when you have, when you have 3000 tax returns released to ProPublica and the perpetrator, all they get is their hand slapped. Right. I'm going clearly the IRS is saying, this is okay. We're going to slap your hand, but we're not going to do anything else. I mean, that, that, that the, the person who did that, I think should be in prison for the next 15 years. That's my feeling about how important the confidential information is that the IRS, but the IRS doesn't feel that way. So what's a compelling reason for, for somebody other than FinCEN to get this information? Right. So here's what FinCEN has released. It says FinCEN will permit federal, state, local, and tribal officials, as well as certain foreign officials who submit a request through the US federal government agency to obtain beneficial ownership information for authorized activities related to national security, intelligence, and law enforcement. So in my opinion, as a lawyer, Tom, I think any request has to fall into those three categories. Does it relate to national security? Is it related to some intelligence? I think that leans to the terrorism. Right and law enforcement. Now, yeah. you and I both know definitions are the key, right? And how we define that, those terms have not been defined yet. Yeah, law, law enforcement's a pretty pretty broad term. It is. I think, um, you know, without any more specific definition of what it means, a compelling reason for law enforcement, um, you know, any to me, that means that pretty much any police officer could get this if they if they really wanted it. Certainly, but that kind of leads us to what information is actually reported. Yes, let's talk right. about that. So what information will be reported? And then we'll talk about who does have to report this. Sure. So there's uh, three pieces of information that has to be reported. And first is a beneficial owner. So what is a beneficial owner of an entity? Well, they have to own twenty more than 25%. So I think that's an important distinction, Tom. If we uh, create entities where the owner is 25% or less, not reported, okay? So more than 25% ownership. So that's clear if it's corporation, that's stock, if it's uh, LLC, membership interest or limited partnership interest or something like that. Second is substantial control. So that's a, usually an officer or director of a corporation. It's going to be the manager of an LLC. It's going to be the general partner of a limited partnership. Those are going to be- Even, our even if they don't have ownership. Yes, even if they don't have ownership. And so that that has been kind of the bugaboo that FinCEN has really been dancing around is what does uh, substantial control look like? Right. And they're, they are broadening that definition, I would say somewhat- generally, in that you have to have decision authority. So if you are able to make decisions on behalf of the company, you're going to fall under someone who ex exercises substantial control. Okay? Got it. So who's the third? What's the third? Okay. Well, there's two others. So that was just the beneficial information okay. owner. Okay. The second is the company information. Now that no one's going to get excited about everybody uh, what that. information that's required. But the third, I think, is important as it relates to who is going to be filing this report. And this is where your listeners should listen closely. It's the company applicant. So any entity formed prior to January 1st, 2024, you do not have to disclose 
the company applicant. And who is the company applicant? It is the person. I thought that was interesting. Not the entity, not the company, not the service. It's the person who files the document registering the company. So in my firm, um, exactly. So am I paralegal who does it under my jurisdiction, my, my supervision? I am reporting myself as the company applicant, not Scablin PLLC, which I thought was very interesting. So um, the company applicant must be disclosed after January 1st, 2024. Um, For companies formed after January 1st. Yes, for all companies formed after January 1st, 2024. Got it. So so in your case, um, uh, if your paralegal does that, is it your paralegal's name or is it your name? Good question. Uh, I've I've been reading on this closely. My position is it's my name. I'm the one that's signing the document just because my paralegal is the one entering the information on the computer. I don't think that's enough. After all, when we practice law, it's always under the supervision of an attorney. But it was interesting. There is a, a, a very interesting FAQ guide. And in the FAQ guide by FinCEN, it did say that a paralegal may have to enter their information too. I thought that was strange. Well, a paralegal could presumably, you know, do that on their own, right? They 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 wouldn't necessarily have to have you, correct? That that's true. So if it was a document preparer, someone that was not working under the supervision of an attorney, uh, absolutely. So so so, so who's going to file these for LegalZoom? <laughs> That's a great question. That's what I'm really curious to see. But the, the, the number one question I get from uh, the, the tax professionals I work with lately has been, John, am I going to have to file the BOI report? Now, that gets into one of the two big issues that I'd love to discuss with you. I, I, I want to, I, before we get there, though, okay. I want to go back to beneficial owner because okay. I think there's still questions about who's that beneficial owner. So let me give mm-hmm. you an example. Sure. Um, because a lot of our clients own their entities through a trust. Right. And they could be not, I mean, a living trust, that's easy. Right. Right. Because that's the the people, you know, you have the same, <clears throat> you have the same trustee as the grantor as the beneficiary in, in, in a living trust. Um, but let's, ta- let's talk about a spousal trust or a, a children's trust or or a, a, any other kind of complex trust. Right. Here's my question. Is, is it, and let's say they own more than 25%. So we qualify, mm-hmm. we qualify there. Is it the grantor, the, benef- the, the beneficiary or the trustee? Great question. And ironically, I, I dove deep into this this week and I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment. But in my opinion, it is the beneficiary that will have to be disclosed. Really? Now there is an exception if the beneficiary is a minor child. So Tom, as part of what I do, I am frequently creating a gift trust that my clients, mom and dad are creating for the kids. I do not have to disclose the, the, the minor child's information if they're under 18. But interestingly, we, we talk about needing to update the BOI report whenever there's changes. There's a bugaboo that I don't think a lot of people are aware. On the child's 18th birthday, the clock ticks. They got 30 days to update the BOI report to disclose the, the, the now adult beneficiary. So who do we report then if the children are minors? Their legal guardian. It's going to be mom or dad that's going to get disclosed on the BOI report 
on behalf of the minor child, but it's it's the beneficiary of the trust. So one of the one of the major benefits I've thought of trusts, particularly complex trusts, has been they are completely private. Yes. And that basically you're saying is gone. Well, I'm saying that it's not gone. I am saying that is now having to be reported to the FinCEN. And and that's where I think opinions rise as to how easily that's going to be received. I'm giving FinCEN the benefit of the doubt of what they're saying, which is it must be for national security, intelligence, or law enforcement purposes to be disclosed. And who must it be disclosed to? has to be state, federal, local, or tribal official, or a foreign government. So in other words, it does say specifically financial institutions will also have access to the BOI report only with consent of the company. Oh, so they have to have consent. So they They don't have to consent. So, right. Okay. So presumably though, Banks are going to require this. This sounds like a new requirement when you get a loan. The banks are going to require a a copy of the BOI report. I suspect all business going forward, most likely. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Now let's, uh, we got that one out of the way. Let's go to your, what you were about to address, which is who files this report? Because we know um, uh, as accountants, we already file with FinCEN. Right. We, we file, we, we filed um, those 3520s and we filed, right. we, we filed those reports uh, with FinCEN, even though they are, as you said, they're treasury, they're not IRS. I, I mean, IRS is a, is a department of, of the treasury, right? It's a division. Um, but, but treasury is the, is the broader um, exactly. category. And so one of the questions that has come up, actually, it came up in our um, meeting that you were at uh, not too long ago, our uh, annu- the annual tax strategy conference, of is the filing of this, of the BOI, is that the unauthorized practice of law for a CPA? Mm-hmm. So, um, because we all know the, the, the professional that has the most contact and um, the most frequent contact with a client is not the attorney. It's, right. it's, it's, it's the CPA. Agreed. It's the tax mm-hmm. preparer, the tax advisor. So um, they're going to look, I, I, I will tell you right now, clients are going to look to us for doing this. So what, what's your take on this? Are, are you saying this is the lawyer's responsibility? They, they need to do it. Is it the statutory agent responsibility? Whose responsibility is this from a professional standpoint? You're listening to WealthAbility for CPAs, not just because Tom Wheelwright is entertaining, but to become a better strategic tax advisor. Attorney John Scabland and his law firm, Scabland PLLC, presents with Tom Wheelwright to accountants and works with tax advisors throughout the United States, implementing strategic tax plans that protect the client's assets. Take your expertise and client value to another level by working with John. Tax professionals rave about John's approach to asset protection. John enables your client to start small and increase the complexity of their plan as their assets grow. John will custom tailor a plan that is both affordable and effective. John Scabland is your asset protection attorney who will work with your tax strategy and within your client's budget. Go to ultimateassetprotection.com and schedule a time to meet with John. Great question. So I think we first need to step back and let's, I, again, as an attorney, 
I look at definitions. So I took a look at the American Bar Association's definition of what is the practice of law, Tom. And I think that will be very illuminating to you. It says the practice of law is the application of legal principles and judgment with regard to circumstances or objectives of a person that require the knowledge and skill of a person trained in law. So the person is presumed to be practicing law when engaging in any of the following activities. One, giving advice or counsel to persons regarding their legal rights or responsibilities or to those of others. But two, selecting, drafting, or completing legal documents or agreements that affect the legal rights of a person. It goes on. But I think that's where, in my opinion, I believe the attorney should be filing this. Why do I believe that? Because I also believe that tax professionals should not be filing or forming LLCs, limited partnerships, and corporations. That is the practice of law. So in my humble opinion, Tom, I think the attorney should be filing the BOI report because they should also be creating and filing with the Secretary of State the formation documents. That's my opinion. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Now, I would also uh, support my position with a few minor things. First, look at Title 26. I don't see anywhere in there that says or implies this kind of duty upon a tax professional. But let's let's step back for a moment. I've been very lawyerly thus far. I love to be a very practical lawyer. Let's step back. What is the practical implication here? I would ask you, Tom, and all your listeners, go to your malpractice insurance. Will your malpractice insurance cover you? I don't think it covers you for forming entities or drafting operating agreements. And I don't think it's going to cover you for filing the BOI report. That's just my opinion. But ask your malpractice carrier, what is their position? I I think that's fair. I think that's fair. So let's let's go back to our clients for a minute. Um, What are the penalties if they don't comply? Sure. And we had kind of also glossed over one thing there, Tom. So if you don't mind, let's rewind. What information must be reported? Because I I think this is a big deal. It's the full legal name of the beneficial uh, owner. It's their date of birth. It's their residential address. It's their business address. And here's the hardest part for me. I had all of that information from my clients already every time I form a company for them. But what I am now having to obtain, Tom, is a copy of their driver's license or their passport. So we have to submit all that information in this BOI report. So just for your listeners, that's the information that's required. I also think that it might be useful to just talk real quick, Tom, about the exceptions. So I'm going to brag. Yeah. So I don't know what you guys did over there in the lobbying effort. Uh, One of the exceptions are accounting firms if you comply with Sarbanes-Oxley, okay? Oh, interesting. Yes, so that's the carve-out. So an audit firm. Yeah, well, and I have not dived into this, but this is literally what it reads. The entity is a public accounting firm registered in accordance with Section 102 of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of uh, 2002. So you may want to take a look to see that. If your firm falls under that, you do not have to file a BOI report. But some other noteworthy, uh, there's about 15 different exceptions. As I go through the exceptions, Tom, here is the ones that jump out to me. 
one, tax-exempt entities do not have to file. Two, large operating companies. You already alluded to this. But, but what is and, what is a large operating company? Yeah, they define that as having more than 20 employees and having more than $5 million in gross receipts. Okay. So it's of an course, and. That's an and. Uh, and, yes. And. 20 employees and $5 million in gross receipts. Okay. Second, uh, uh, other noteworthy is the inactive entity. So I don't know about you, Tom, but sometimes I have clients that create sure. LLCs and don't do anything with them. So this is probably the longest definition they've given us. An inactive entity does not have to file if it was formed prior to January 1st, 2020. It's not engaged actively in business. It's not owned by a foreign person at all in any way. If a foreign person owns 1%, you got to report. The entity has not changed ownership within the preceding 12 months. It has not received or sent funds of more than $1,000. And it does not otherwise own any kind of asset. It's it's just empty. If all of those uh, apply- well, it, can't have a bank, it can't have a bank account. It could have a bank account, I guess, because it is saying whole any kind of type of assets. So I don't know how you're receiving and sending funds if you don't have a bank account, but it's saying literally, here's the exact words. The entity does not otherwise hold any kind or type of assets, whether in the United States or abroad, including any ownership interest in any corporation, LLC, or similar entity. So in other words, if it was an off-the-shelf LLC that your client never used or did anything with, I don't think they need to file a BOI report. Yeah, but we're, we're going to get to the penalties here. Um, but this is, I mean, I, I've been talking about this for a while now, that there are uh, continue to be attacks on small business. And to me, this is just another um, anti-small business act because the big big businesses don't have to comply. Small businesses do. Right. And I, I will say that in my legal opinion, there's a gaping hole and that's complex trusts do not have to file a BOI report by themselves. That Remember, trusts are not formed by filing something with the secretary right. of state. They're right. private documents. And for all I, I'm bewildered why and grateful, don't get me wrong, grateful that we don't have to report our trusts. Because I can imagine anyone with nefarious purposes would create a complex trust and just funnel money through that. Complex trusts are very powerful. Why can't it own assets? Why can't it send money? Why can't it receive money? Of course it can. It, it can do yeah. all of those things. And so so basically the only ones that have to, uh, the only complex trusts have to file are those that own their interests through entities uh, for what you would say would might be asset protection purposes. Right. Right. So again, where I utilize this typically, uh, Tom, is I, I'm really not a big fan of slats for asset protection. My go-to is a gift trust. And usually it's the client's children or their family or someone. And normally that's owning less than 25% unless there's a limited partnership involved. So that's where it impacts me in, in that regard. And, and if you don't mind, Tom, let me just, let's do big picture. So you and I, I think, share the same principle of before we jump into the weeds, let's step back for the moment and look at what is the 30,000 foot level of what we're doing here. I remind you and your listeners, the three 
key principles of asset protection, which your clients should want when they, they do their entity formations, is first, we want to bifurcate risk. That, that's a no-brainer. To the extent it makes economic sense, one property per LLC or pull out the equipment out of an operating business or never have an operating business own real estate, right? Second is we want layers between the client and their assets. But third is privacy. So I'll remind you that I've litigated for 10 years of my career, Tom. There's been times when I've told my client, look, you have a great case. Tom's in the wrong. You, you got a slam dunk as far as slam dunk cases can be. Nothing's ever guaranteed in court, of course. But I've now done an asset search on Tom. We always did. We always look for real estate. We always look for business entities. And if I get anything other than your residence, or if I had a business, I'm excited because I think you're rich. So part of what I do, Tom, is to make sure that my clients look broke. I don't want you to look like a target to a lawsuit because you're an attractive candidate. So that's why we utilize Wyoming LLCs. That's my favorite state. I could go off on that. But this doesn't change that. And that's where a lot of my clients have been, hey, wait a second, as the sky fallen when it comes time to privacy. My opinion um, is no, the privacy jurisdictions is still the way to go. Why? Because the plaintiff lawyer does not have access. Remember, they're not law enforcement. They're not a government agency. They have no way of looking up who the manager and who the owner of that Wyoming LLC is. So privacy is still in place, everyone, even after the Corporate Transparency Act. And that's what I want you to know. Okay. So let's, uh, that that's a perfect segue into the states because we know New York already has um, uh, uh, this law and there's several other states looking at it. And right. at least New York, um, the other states that have talked about it, they want to make it public information. So um, let's talk about New York because that's the one that, that we have because um, right. uh, we haven't yet talked about the fines and penalties. Fines and penalties. In fact, we're going to back up to that. Yeah, what, let's talk what about What are that the right fines there. and penalties for yeah. not complying with the Corporate Transparency Act? Failure to comply, it's $500 per day fine and up to two years of prison and or a $10,000 fine. So, so basically, prison. basically, you're you're probably looking at a $10,000 fine. And Most likely, yep. If you don't comply. And they find you. Yes. Right. And now, they find presumably, you. Yeah. presumably, they're going to scour records. They're going to start doing audits. They're going to send out notifications and say, you need to send us this information. And they're going to do, you know, everything that FinCEN has done previously when looking for bank accounts. What, what I anticipate, Tom, is that the IRS and FinCEN are going to talk to each other. Yep. If you're filing a tax report on an LLC, limited partnership corporation, I guarantee you that FinCEN is going to be getting that information and looking to see whether you filed your BOI report. If you haven't filed your BOI report, I think you're going to get a knock on the door or a, a nasty letter. There's going to be some action. Okay. So let's shift over to, so $10,000 fine up to two years in prison. Um, let's shift over to New York. What's okay. the penalty for not filing in New York? I have to admit, Tom, uh, you've thrown me a cool uh, uh, curveball. I have not looked at New York's. Have you? I have. It's okay, please. $250. How much? $250. Okay. For not filing, is that per day? Or is not, that just period? Nope, that's period. 
So well, why, I hate to break it to you, but I think most of my clients would pay the two fifty. Why would just pay the two fifty? Pay the two fifty. It's not Absolutely. worth disclosing. It's, it it's is crazy. not. It is not worth the disclosure because my understanding is they're disclosing it publicly. It is in a public database. Now, in my opinion, Tom, if that's the case, and uh, full disclosure, New York is my least favorite state to file LLCs in already. But I would just tell my clients, we're going to include another $250 on top of that to pay your fine when it comes due, because it's not worth disclosing. That's crazy. Right Now, here's my concern is I think California will be next. I think California is going to follow right behind them. Yep. And I think California is going to be more aggressive. Why do I feel that way? Because their state franchise tax is the most aggressive tax in the country. Yep. So if it's only $250, fine. Uh, okay, New York, I can live with that. But California, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. I, I think that's where it's going to be a problem. Yeah. So let's talk about the states just for a second. I know we're speculating a little bit here, but California, you're right, is probably on the heels of, of New York here. And let's say they have a substantial fine, which I would expect from, from California, right? right? New York's going to have to increase their fine because they're going to find that nobody's filing. Right. Um, but let's go to California. Let's say that you have an LLC doing business in California to register mm -hmm. in California. You formed it in Wyoming. Okay. Presumably you would still have to file that report in California. I, I presume. And I say that only because you still have to form register that Wyoming LLC right. if you're doing business in California. So right. yeah, no, you're right. And that's going to be a problem at, you know, California has been a challenge for some time now, Tom, it's only going to get worse. I like to joke, no offense to your listeners that live in California, but it's it's the the Republic of California over there. I actually I actually refer to it as the PRC. Okay. The People's Republic of California. There you go. So I, I get pretty specific on that. Um <laughs> uh, California, it's you know what? Uh, my my wife says, you know, you know my wife very well. Um my wife calls uh says California has a beach tax and Arizona has a desert discount. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know, there are, there's just a cost. There's a cost of living or doing business in California. And right. if you're comfortable with that cost, um, then, then that's great. If you're not comfortable, get out. And that's why so many people have left California actually. Um, uh, so, um, uh, there, there's, 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 there's a big debate and, and we're recording this. So the debate will have already happened, uh, between, California's governor Newsom and um, Florida's governor oh, Santos. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that one goes because I think um, economically, certainly Florida has uh, really outshone California um, in the in the um, last few years um, specifically. So in any case, um, any final words on um, the Corporate Transparency Act and uh, what yeah. I call the Boy Report? No, that's great. Great. Um, final words is this. Don't be alarmed. Yes, it, it's a pain. It's going to be just uh, one of those procedures that anyone that is forming a business is going to have to go through. Your clients are, are now going to live with it. Here's an analogy, Tom, that I think will be helpful. We have pre-TSA and now we have TSA. Anytime you get on a flight, you know you're going to have the inconvenience of showing up earlier and having to go through screening and going through that whole machination. And it's under the pretense that the skies are safer now, right? After 9-11. Well, I, I think we are gonna have a January 1st, 2024 before and after period. 
after 24, uh, January 1st uh, upcoming, this is just going to be another form. We're going to get used to having the file and it is what it is. I, I agree with you. It's attack on businesses, especially small businesses, not the big ones. Um, but what, what can we do? Unfortunately, it's been passed uh, that that ship sailed. But it will be interesting to see if the rules change. So I still am somewhat of an optimist. Look at the extension. Uh, I was panicked in my own practice, uh, Tom, that January was going to be a very busy month for us because we were going to have to start asking clients to get driver's licenses and passports. And yes, we'd have all 2024 to do that for all our prior filings. But going forward, I was thinking 30 days. That That's not a whole lot of time. And I'm relieved to hear it's now 90 days, but we're going to have to get our processes down in 2024 because that will shrink back to 30 days. So uh, to your listeners, I would say anyone that says, hey, CPA, you need to file the BOIA report. My my response would be you formed it. You need to file it. Or if you use an attorney to file it, you need to use your attorney to file it. That is not something I want to get involved in, especially after January 1st, 2024. Why? Because your information will be disclosed as the company applicant. Keep that in mind. Yes, all fun stuff. So thank you, John. <laughs> um, if uh, people want more information about your firm and what you guys do, where would they go? Certainly. Please go to uh, ultimateassetprotection.com. It's a lot easier to spell than Scabeland. So ultimateassetprotection.com. There I have information on the CTA and a, a guide that you can download. It's it's a wealth of information. If this is a concern to you, please dive in. But secondly, you'll also have the opportunity to book a, uh, an appointment with me. I encourage all tax professionals, if you haven't worked with me, schedule a 30-minute meeting with me. I'll discuss how I'm different, what my approach is to asset protection. Love to work with you and your clients. Awesome. Thank you, John. And um, this has been such an important discussion. Please, you want to listen to this over and over. I would actually uh, send this out. Um, frankly, I get this information out to your clients um, so that they know here's here's information on the Corporate Transparency Act. I know our clients are a lot of them are concerned or a lot of them don't have any idea what's coming and they need to be aware of this. This is um, even if we're not the ones as CPAs uh, preparing the BOI report, we are the ones that our clients are depending on to let them know about these requirements. And so let's make sure that we do you do our due diligence, that not only are we familiar with it, but we make sure our clients are familiar with it. Because when we do those things that take care of our clients, we always end up with better clients and a better practice and a better life. We'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>